Thank you, choir, and thank you, Bailey. Uh, usually, we dismiss the kids at this point, but uh, today we don't have children's church, so uh, it's okay. If your kids move around, we understand. We like kids, and we know they move around. Now, if they crawl into the pews and start biting ankles and stuff, you probably want to rein them in, but other than that, we are good all together this morning. All right, well, as the choir makes their way back to sit with their families, let me tell you, what we're going to talk about today is what does the resurrection mean? And I'll make a deal with you. It's already a little bit late in our service, so I won't preach very long if you'll listen really hard, okay? So y'all listen really hard, and I'll, I'll uh, say what needs to be said, but I'll keep it brief. What does the resurrection mean? Well, the first thing that the resurrection means absolutely is that Jesus is who he said he was. We find this in Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And check this out. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pray with me. Lord, um, what a great day that was. Lord, what a great day we celebrate today. Father, in truth, we celebrate the resurrection of your son every single time that we assemble together to worship. Because, Lord, had he not risen from the grave, then, Lord, we would have known that somehow he did these miraculous things that he did without your power and approval. Lord, I don't know how that would be. But, Lord, the ultimate vindication of everything that Jesus said and that Jesus did was that he was raised from the dead on that day. Lord, help us to understand that truth. Father, help us to see with eyes of faith. Lord, not... Uh, not blind faith, but reasoned, informed faith. Lord, faith comes from you. So, Father, I pray that you will give it to any here who don't have it today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you may be here and be thinking that if the resurrection is true, then yeah, Jesus is who he said he is. But I'm not sure that it's true. And if you're in that boat, let me explain to you one reason that I believe in the resurrection. Christianity, like I said a moment ago, is not blind faith. It is faith in evidence. And one of those wonderful evidences we have that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God is the empty tomb. The resurrection was preached almost immediately in the same city where it occurred. Okay, so in Jerusalem, news of the resurrection was being preached a matter of days after the fact of the resurrection. If the tomb weren't empty, then the body could have been produced and ended the rumor immediately. They could have gone and they could have gotten that body and they could have said, no, he's dead. Here he is. Because of this obvious fact, basically no rational person will denies that the tomb was empty. So the question is. How did it get that way? Now, as far as I can see, there are two reasonable possibilities. First, there's one possibility that I don't think is reasonable, and that could be that the enemies of Jesus had stolen it. But there's no way that that happened, because this would have fueled the speculation that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
So I'm not going to count that as one of the reasonable possibilities. So we're left with two reasonable ones. Maybe the apostles stole it and they buried it somewhere else so that they could claim that the resurrection is true. Matthew 28, 11 through 15, we see the beginnings of this uh, conspiracy here. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the disciples would have had no motive to go and steal the body of Jesus. Because of their preaching about the resurrection, you know what they got from this? They were beaten, they were persecuted... And ten of the eleven, not counting Judas, Judas went and hung himself, but hanged himself. But ten of the remaining eleven were martyred for their faith. So, do you think they would steal the body of Jesus, go bury it elsewhere, suffer beatings and persecution and martyrdom for their trouble, and stick to their story the whole entire time? Would they go through all of this for a deliberate lie? Now, maybe they thought it would bring them fame and influence, right? You might say, well, maybe they thought it would go well. Maybe this this story of the resurrection would bring them fame and influence. All right, that could be true, but then they wouldn't possibly have held to their position something that they knew for a fact was not true through the persecutions and through the martyrdoms that they suffered. Now, people will often die for a lie that they believe is the truth. On September 11th, 2001, we had some people fly into buildings because they believed a lie, but they believed it, right? They believed what they were doing was, was right and true, and they believed that there was a reward waiting for them. So you can believe things that aren't true, but the, the, the apostles, the disciples, they would have had to die for something that they knew for a fact was not true. If Jesus did not rise, the disciples knew it. So they would have been dying for a lie that they knew was false. Now, if Jesus rose from the grave, and I I think that's the only other explanation. The tomb is empty. How is it empty? Did Did the opponents of Jesus steal the body? No, that's crazy. They would have been adding fuel to the fire that they were trying to put out. Did Jesus' followers steal his body and bury it elsewhere? Well, folks, it's unreasonable to think so because they suffered terribly for that. And had they known that was a lie, they would have said, okay, guys, just kidding. When I'm getting persecuted and beaten and murdered, they would have said, okay, I give up. It's not true. The other explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he did... That matters more than anything else in the world because he is who he said he was. And if Jesus did rise from the dead, that means that the Bible is true. We have seen that if he rose from the dead, it validates who he said he was, but it also validates the word of God 
because he speaks with absolute certainty and final authority if he's God, right? And what Jesus said about the Bible validates that the Bible is indeed true. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible says Jesus is God and Jesus is God, therefore the Bible's true. That's circular reasoning, right? What I'm saying is, if Jesus Christ left that tomb, if he was dead, buried for three days, and was raised to life again, then he's God, and whatever God says is true. So let's see what Jesus said about the Word of God. In John five thirty nine, he says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus, this one who was resurrected, said that the Scriptures bear witness about me. And then in Luke 24, 22 through 27, we read that Jesus said this. Well, Jesus didn't say this, but this is about Jesus. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. Oh, and let me just stop there for a second. Who found that Jesus was raised from the dead first? It was women, right? If you were going to uh, create a fantasy back in that day and you wanted it to be believable, you would not say that women found the grave empty. Um, It's not fair. It's not nice. I don't advocate it. But women were not treated very seriously back in the day, okay? They would not have been the most reliable testimony. So if this were a fable, it would not include women finding the tomb empty. But God, in his sovereignty, had some women go and find the tomb empty. Verse 23, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this one that was dead, buried, and raised to life said about the scriptures, these scriptures bear witness of me. Now he was talking about the Old Testament, right? Well, what about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament wasn't written when Jesus was walking the earth, but he did talk about it because he knew that it would be written. In John 16, 12 through 15, here's what Jesus says about the New Testament that we have. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus said about the Old Testament scriptures, they bear witness of me. He said about the New Testament scriptures, I've got more to say, and I'm going to say it through the Spirit, through the apostles. So, the resurrection, there's an empty tomb, and because of that empty tomb, we know that Jesus is who he said he was. And we know that the resurrected Son of God has proclaimed that the Scriptures are indeed faithful and true. Then we see the next thing that that the resurrection means is that judgment 
is coming. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what does the resurrection mean? It means that one day there will indeed be judgment coming. Now what does God command in light of that? He says, all people everywhere. Now, you know who that includes? It includes you. All people everywhere. You know, some folks say or think that they're pretty good. And I'm afraid some people think maybe they're good enough that they don't really need a Savior. But you do. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're a pretty good person and you've grown up in church and you've never smoked or drank or uh, chewed or gone with girls who do, right? (laughs) None of that stuff. If you've never done any of that stuff, you need a Savior. If you have been a rebel and have been far, far from God, you need a Savior. There's nobody that's so good he doesn't need to be saved. There's nobody so bad that he cannot be saved. So he says, all people everywhere... What are we all supposed to do? We're supposed to repent. Now what repentance means is you're going one way and you're going to turn and go the other way. So we spend our time, we spend our life, our energy, our pursuits, pursuing the world, the things that make us happy, the things uh, that, that deify us, our pleasures. What repentance is, if you've never come to faith in Christ, is turning away from the pursuits of the world and the pursuits of glorifying you and turning instead and pursuing obedience to Christ. You see, the Bible makes it clear to us that the law is given to make us feel hopeless. We can't keep the law. We'll get, we can try, but we'll, we'll give up in frustration. So the law drives us to grace. But then once we, we go to God for grace, grace drives us back to the law to see how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to please God. Now, if you start with the law and think you're going to get to God through the law, it is a fool's errand. It is a, it is a source of frustration. But if you go to the law and you see, I cannot keep the law, I am hopeless, and if that drives you to grace then God in his grace and mercy will forgive you and that will drive you back to the law to see how it is that you can please the Father. The empty tomb and the resurrection also means there is only one way to God. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Some people will tell you that all religions are basically the same. They say that these are just separate paths up the mountain. But they all lead to God at the end. But on closer examination, we see that all religions cannot be the same because 
they contradict one another. They cannot all be true any more than 2 plus 2 can equal 4 and 5 at the same time. Christianity is the only religion that believes Jesus Christ is both God and man. So either Christianity is wrong or all of the other religions are wrong. How do you decide? Well, I say you decide by the fact of the resurrection. In light of Christ's resurrection, Christianity has the ultimate truth claim. The next thing that the resurrection means is that those who repent and believe the gospel will follow Jesus in his resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says this. Now Paul is writing to some folks who uh, were in a Christian community and some of their people had died and they were expecting the return of Christ. And so when Christ hadn't returned and yet some of their members had died, they were becoming concerned about this. So here's what Paul said to them. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, he says asleep, but they're dead, okay? They're dead and buried, but Paul's saying, hey, it's temporary. Those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So, folks, there's one way to grieve if your loved one is in Christ and they die. They're asleep and you're going to be back with them. There's a totally different way you have to grieve if your loved one is lost and separated from God. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. All right. So this is the basis, guys, of hope. Listen. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So folks, the empty tomb is proof of the resurrection. And the resurrection is the most important fact in human history. Guys, Paul says, if this stuff isn't true, then we are to be pitied. However, if the resurrection is the truth, It is the most important thing around which you can build your life. I don't understand folks that think that, yeah, there is an empty tomb, and I think Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. I'm just not real excited about it. I don't understand those people. I understand folks who say, okay, I don't believe it. Now, I don't agree with them, but I understand that it takes a little bit of faith to believe something you haven't personally seen. Now, we do it all the time. We accept the, history, the evidence of history on a regular basis. But there's something supernatural about saving faith that has to come from the Lord. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can be at least rational. Now, if you believe that the resurrection occurred, then you've got to say, well, Jesus Christ then is God. And whatever he said, 
I need to find out what he said, and I need to do what he said. And when he says repent and believe, I've got to repent and believe. And then I've got to do everything I can to live in such a way that I honor him because he has saved me from judgment. All right, that's rational. I get that. The people I don't get are the ones in the middle that say, you know, I believe Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, and he died and he was buried and he was raised to life again, but I don't really care. (laughs) Those people I do not understand. Don't be one of those people. It is an irrational way to live your life. If he came out of that grave, you need to find out about him. You need to be in a relationship with him. And you need to serve him. Now, folks, if if you grew up in church hearing this, let me tell you, this is not the gospel. Some folks think a lot of people in, you know, a lot of people in the church kind of get this message. I don't think it's explicitly taught. But what they think is, God is good, you're bad, try harder, and I'll see you next week. Okay, they think God's good, you're bad, you need to try harder, and we'll get together again next week. If you think that's what church is, and if you think that's what the gospel is, let me tell you, it's not. Here is what the gospel is. The gospel is that we have sinned. Guys, we have ruined our relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a perfect situation. They decided that they would believe the word of a serpent over the word of their creator. And they rebelled against God. And from that time, we have been following in their footsteps. You know, sometimes I hear people say, man, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have messed up. We could have have all lived in heaven. All would have been well. We could have had a great uh, race of, of noble people in the Garden of Eden. Well, folks, you would have sinned like they did. And you could say, well, how do you know? Well, I know because you sinned yesterday, right? And so did I. We ratify the decision that they made every time we rebel against our Creator. So we have broken our relationship with God. And we had no way to fix it. Guys, we didn't have any way to make things right once they went wrong. We couldn't pay God back. We couldn't fix our rebellion. I mean, sometimes we don't rebel, but that's just our job, right? When we do obey God, we're just doing our job. And when we rebel against him, we are shaking our puny little fist at heaven and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it when I want to do it and with who I want to do it. And you can't tell me what to do. That is what sin is. So we were in a mess because God is just. And because he is just, he has to punish sin. You can't be guilty And go before a judge and say, judge, I know I'm guilty of this horrible thing and I deserve death. But how about you go easy on me and we just call it even and I leave, right? The judge can't do that. It's not not in his power to do that unless he's corrupt. Why? Because justice demands that we pay for our sins. So God being just, he had to punish sin. And we're sinners. So again, we're in a mess Well, God solved this problem in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect and righteous and holy, blameless life that we couldn't live. And then he died the death that we deserved. And you know, have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't come down on a a Thursday or Friday, go to the cross, be raised on Sunday, and this whole thing be over with? 
Well, it's because he lived an entire life of righteousness before that. You know, when he went to be baptized, he said, hey, John, I want to be baptized. And John said, you want me to baptize you? I think it ought to be the other way around. I think you ought to baptize me. And Jesus said, well, suffer it to be so now to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus fulfilled all the righteousness that we were supposed to fulfill but couldn't. Now, how that counts for us is by faith. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, toward the end of the chapter, that he made him, and that means God made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, by faith, we can take the sin that was credited to your account and put it on Jesus' account, which he paid for at the cross. And we can take that life of perfect righteousness that Jesus lived, and that can be credited to your account through faith. That is where the rubber meets the road on what the empty tomb is about. That means that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable to the Father. And then he was raised from the dead to offer you this new life. So folks, if you've never done that, if you've never received this gift of grace, do it today. The day we celebrate the resurrection is the day for you to be resurrected from your death and separation from God and to be given new life in Christ. So let me tell you, don't leave here until you come talk to me. Walking down an aisle can't save you. Talking to me can't save you. But I can introduce you to Jesus who can save you. All right, guys, I know that sometimes hearing this one time is a little bit much. You're like, wait a minute, I got questions. That's okay. You come and talk to me. We'll review it. We'll talk about your questions. Um, We'll get together more. If there's anything I can do for you to help you come to the place where you place your faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, I want to do that.